in context of chapter 9, he's begun his ministry, probably in the first third of his ministry. He's already healed. He's just finished gathering his disciples. He's already gathering movement, his followers, and uh, he, he's going through the cities, the towns, preaching, healing, doing the miracles, doing the things that we know Jesus to do, um, kind of on the beginning of his ministry. Now, the book of Matthew is written primarily uh, with, they had a Jewish audience in mind. What that means is all throughout the book of Matthew, you see lots of references to the Old Testament Bible prophecies. You see lots of references to the Jewish law because Jesus came first to the Jews to fulfill the law, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And uh, so th keep all that in mind as we kind of study through this text and where we're at in verse number 14, uh, chapter 9, verse number 14, then came to him the disciples of John. Pause. The disciples of John. Who is John? This is not John, uh, one of Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. This is John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, who we learn about that he was born with one thing in mind, and that was to prepare the way um, for Jesus. So he was born, the Bible actually says that he was given the Holy Spirit in the womb, which is kind of cool. Um, think of a baby with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what you got going on. He was born with the Holy Spirit and then lived making a way for Jesus. Jesus did not start his ministry until he was uh, 30. And John, all during that time, was making the way, building a following of people looking toward the Messiah. Now, keep in mind, I'm giving a lot of context and we're going to jump in. These are Jewish people that are looking towards the Messiah. So they still have all of this Jewish law, this old covenant, all these things in their mind, all these things in their life. And that's where we come to. So then came him to him the disciples of John saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but thy disciples fast not? They pose a good question. They pose a good question. Uh, back in the Jewish laws, back in the kind of tradition of Jewish custom at this time, the Pharisees would fast often. We, we, we read that they would fast sometimes twice a week, most of the time, to show God that they were really about it. Really, they were showing man. It had nothing to do with God. It was all an outward demonstration. But John's disciples, who are attempting to follow Jesus. They've heard of this Messiah. John has been preaching this Messiah. They know of him. They want to know him. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out their doctrine. These are good men. I'm going to say this a few times in the message. They're good men with bad doctrine. They're people who want to know Jesus, but bad Bible doctrine. And they go to Jesus, and they're like, why are we fasting? And why even the Pharisees are fasting, and your disciples aren't? That's a good question when it comes to if you were starving yourself, keeping yourself away from food, and then you looked at someone who, was supposed, who you're doing it for and the people around him aren't doing it, it's a pretty good question. They're like, why are we starving ourselves? And it seems like we're doing it for no reason. Why are we taking this thing serious? We've given our lives to follow John because we're looking for the Messiah. We've done all of this. Why aren't you taking it as serious as we are? And you find out that this question they ask Jesus, why aren't they fasting? It seems like just a simple three, four verses. We move on you realize it's a surface level question of a heart issue. And actually, if you go to Matthew 11, uh, you, you see, and I'm not going to make you turn there, it says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? This is once again John's disciples coming to Jesus and saying, Are you actually the Messiah? And that's the real question they're asking. But in chapter 9, they're asking this surface level question of why aren't they fasting? They're asking Jesus, why aren't you and your disciples taking this as seriously as we are? We're doing what we're taught to do. We're checking the boxes. We're down the eyes. We're hungry for the Lord. We're hungry for the presence of the Lord. Why aren't your disciples? I think these are good men with good intentions, with bad doctrine. The disciples asked of John, asked Jesus, and we're going to study his responses of why aren't they hungry like we are. Um, a little bit different format this morning in my sermon, but... 
I think the Lord has something for us, and I'm praying that his word does not return void for you as we kind of study through Jesus' responses. He gives them three parables in response, and then he's interrupted um, by a man of, asking about his daughter. And I think there is something for us here. And for whatever reason, the Lord has given us this message, burdened me with it this week. I couldn't get away from it. I was talking to a, a man in the first service, and we talked earlier in the week, and he was asking me, where do you plan to preach? And I was like, I have this in my mind, but I don't want to preach it. But for some reason, the Lord has given it to us, and I know he has something for us this morning. So let's pray, and then we will jump into Jesus' response to why aren't they hungry. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for being a God worth worshiping, worth giving of ourselves, worth dying of ourselves for, Lord. You, you've, you've given our lives, you've given your life for us, and you ask the same return, Lord. Help us to be people who, who seek that, Lord. If, if there's anyone in here who does not know you, Lord, help today be the day of salvation, Lord, as we study through your word, through Jesus' uh, conversation. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus answers their first question pretty simple. Let's, let's jump right in. Uh, verse number 15. He, he answers their service level question pretty off the bat. Jesus said to them, verse 15, Jesus said to them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them and then they shall fast. Jesus decides to answer their first service level question with a parable of a wedding feast. And the parable is simply like this. The children of the bride, of the bride chamber are those close to the bride, those are the wedding guests, those that he knows, those that she knows, loves, and the bridegroom is the bride. He basically says this, the Bride guests do not mourn at the feast when the bride is still there, but they wait in for her to leave. Pretty simple answer. And you're not going to miss something that you have. He says, basically, they're not fasting because what they're fasting for, they have. Right? We fast for them. We're going to talk about fasting here in a second. We fast to show this expression to God, but we're, show, we're hungry for the Lord. He says, what they're fasting for, they have, so they don't fast. But what does he say? When the bridegroom shall be taken from them, then they shall fast. This is the answer. This is his response. There is a time to fast. There is a time to fast. Ecclesiastes 3 teaches us there's a time for everything. We don't talk about fasting very much. And this is a funny joke, so I want you guys to laugh. The first service and I laugh. We don't talk about fasting very much. We prefer to skip over it rather than skip meals. Y'all like that one? Okay. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about fasting. We don't like it. Y'all didn't like my joke. That's okay. Fasting. What is fasting? I, I'm working on definition. This is John Piper's definition. T fasting is a temporary renunciation of something in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater. It's a temporary putting away of something to show God, not to earn from God, not to buy from God, but simply to show God that we want something greater, which is Him and His Work. Now remember, fasting is not something that is specifically commanded in the Bible, but it's a spiritual discipline. There's nowhere in the New Testament where you, can, where you hear that we must fast. In the New Testament, we have two ordinances, the ordinances of baptism, the ordinance of Lord's Supper. Those are things that we are commanded to do that we should participate in. The fast is not that. But it's not asked, it's not commanded, but it is expected. Now, bear with me. We're teaching through. Flip over to Matthew 6. This is the Lord teaching the Sermon on the Mount, verse number 16. This is Jesus' is preaching. He says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. He says, when you fast. What does that imply? That he expects his followers to fast. To 
fast. Acts 13, if, I'm not going to make you flip over there, but if you go over there where they're sending off missionaries, what they do? They laid hands on and fasted and prayed for the missionaries before they went. It is something that is expected. Now, fasting is not, it does not make you any better than anyone else. It does not earn you anything. It does not give you anything. It does not earn you a special place in heaven, a special favor in the Lord. It does not make you a better Christian, better worse. That is not what fasting does. Fasting simply expresses to God your need for more. It does not make you any better. Fasting shows that we need, want, or cherish the Lord's presence or guidance. Fasting is where we willingly give up something good so that we seek the Lord more efficiently. We fast when we want something from God that we are willing to give up something good already from God for something better. What is the good thing we give up? Food, right? Food is a good thing from God. It's a blessing from God. And we worship with food. We worship first when we feast, right? When we feast with food, we're showing gratitude for God's goodness. And when we fast for food, we're putting food away to show our hunger for God himself and that we love him over the blessings that he's given us. More than we love the gift, we love the gift giver. Now, there's dangers in both. There's a danger in feasting that we fall in love with the gift. If all we do is, all we ever do is feast, then we show that we're truly only in love with the gift. But if all we ever do is fast, then you'll die and you'll belittle the gift. You belittle the gift. Fasting is an exclamation point to the sentence that you need God. You say you need God, fasting is a way to express that to Him. And here's the thing it's to Him only. What did Jesus just say? Those should not know if you're fasting. If you are in a fast, you should, that's not something you, not something you talk about, not something you proclaim. It's something that you do to express to God. It's an exclamation point. Fasting is a way of showing with our bodies that we need God more than we need anything else. And here's the, here's the, here's the application. There is a time to fast. There is a time to fast. There is a time to show God that you desperately desperately need him we think of the series we just wrapped up the book of esther we taught through and preached through the book of esther if you go back to the book of esther what did they do when esther first learned of haman's plot to murder and kill all the jews all of her family uh what did she do her and mordecai she ordered them she said gather up the jews and what fast fast why to show god that this is serious and we are in serious need of him jesus says this now is not the time but there is a time to fast there is a time to fast. Fasting is something that should be expected of Jesus' followers. We're going to move on. We're moving on from that for now. Jesus then continues to answer the question. But he begins to take it to a deeper level. He answers the first, why aren't they fasting? Well, there's going to come a time when they need to fast, but now is not that time. And then he goes into the next part of his answer, which is found in verse number 16. Let's read. It says, no man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up, take it from the garment, and the rent is made Worse. Now, if you know exactly what that's talking about, great. I'm going to explain it because it took me a long time to figure out what exactly he's talking about. What that means is this. Back in the day, and maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, yeah, I understand this a little bit more than some. When they would wash clothes, what does clothes do when you wash them? They shrink. So if you were to take a worn clothes with a hole in it and put a patch over it, a new patch that had not been shrunk, once the garment, garment would be washed, the patch would shrink and the hole would be bigger than before. So what he's saying is this. A patch, although a good patch, is insufficient. A good patch is insufficient. Now, what is he talking about? He's just answering the question about fasting. Now he's talking about patches. These are Jewish men from the Jewish law who are trying to wrap their head around 
why Jesus is doing what he is doing. That Jesus is not acting like how they expected him to act. And he's not doing what they expected him to do. So he says this, a good patch, although you guys are patching with Jesus and covering with Jesus, it's not the goal. They're used to the sacrificial system of the old covenant, but Jesus is trying to teach them that he is not another Jewish rabbi, but he is their savior. He's not just another sacrifice, but he is their finished atonement. He is not just a good patch on this old law. He is something completely, completely different. You see how he's getting deeper into their heart issue. We've learned in Matthew 5, 17 that Jesus has not come to add to the law or to abolish the law or patch up the law, but to fulfill it. Matthew 5, 17 says this, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The issue was these men were trying to patch up their religion with Jesus, but all that was going to do was create a bigger hole. Now, none of us that I know of, maybe some of you do, come from a Jewish background where you were practicing Jewish law, and now you are trying to take Jesus and patch it on. But many of us practice Statesville law and Statesville Christianity, where we think that because we are taking good things and putting it on messy things, that it is good. And listen, Although good things are good, they are insufficient when it comes to eternity. Let me say it like this. Your church attendance is not good enough for heaven. Your church participation is not good enough for heaven. These are good things. They are insufficient for a whole. The whole that sin has created cannot be patched by anything other than the blood of Jesus. And when you try to patch it with good, good behavior, good works, Good things, good church, all these things, those are good things, but they will always be insufficient. Church is not going to get it done. Knowing Bible stories is not going to get it done. Being present here today is not going to get it done. Knowing about Jesus will not get it, will not get it done. These are good patches, but the message of Jesus is not a message of taking your mess and sowing good things into it, but it's something completely, completely different. And if you're here today and you cannot answer the question of why you're going to heaven, ask yourself, why am I going to heaven? If it is anything other than because I've repented of my sins and believed the gospel of Jesus, then it is an insufficient answer. Your church attendance is not enough. Your Christian lingo is not enough. It's good. I want you to come. I want you to learn. I want you to plug in. All those things. But plugging into a church, being in community is not enough. There's a lot of good people in community who are going to go to hell because they have not believed in the gospel. And what Jesus is saying is saying that Jewish law that you're so used to, you're so you're born with, you've been taught, it's a good thing, but I've come to fulfill it and do something completely different. What you're trying to do is take your religion and your mind and put me on top of it, and that's not how this works. What's going to be left is a hole, and he says this, it's better to leave the hole than to patch it and make a bigger hole. Because a good patch is still insufficient. Good works are still insufficient. Good behavior is still insufficient. Church attendance is still insufficient. All these things that we answer to, if we were to seriously, legitimately ask ourselves, why do we get to go to heaven if it's not because of the gospel? It's the wrong answer. It's the wrong answer. I'm glad you're in church, but if you're in church trying to patch up your life, I've got bad news. It's not going to work. I don't care how good the patch is. If it's not a completely new thing, it's not going to work. Because Jesus requires new. When I was young, I, I was a hand-me-down child. Anybody else in here a hand-me-down child? Anybody else wear hand-me-downs? I feel like nobody, I've, I, kids are bougie these days, I feel like. Max, nice. Thank you, Jordan. My older brother, I love my older brother. This is a live stream. My older brother was a little husky, and I was not a little husky. So I wore all his husky clothes, 
And he would purposefully, I feel like, to attack me, where put holes in the knees of jeans. So I would have jeans that are way too big with holes in them, and I would complain to my mom, like, Mom, I look silly. She would say, you're ungrateful. I would say, that's true. But. <laughs> so she was like, okay, I'll fix the holes. So what does she do? And this is my entire childhood. Denim patch on jeans, iron on. We didn't sew. We were iron on patch family. Iron on the patch. So then I'd show up to school, church, whatever, baggy jeans, iron on, patch. Now, the patch did cover my knees. It did cover my knees. However, those were not good jeans. They were not good jeans. They did a thing. They were a good thing. They were not new. They were not new. And here's the lesson. Good patches are still insufficient. Why? Because his third response is this. He says, look, there is a time to fast, but you're not asking about fasting. You're trying to patch your religion with me, and what do I require? Verse number 17 says this, neither do men put wine bottles into old bottles. Else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish, but they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Good patches do not do the trick. When something completely new is required. Third point is this, there must be something new. There must be something completely new. And this is the parable he gives them. Back in the day when they would make wine, they would put wine into wine skins or bottles. Skins probably was used here. And they would fill the wine with it and then the wine would sit and ferment. And when the wine would ferment, the gases would be released and it would expand. So they put new wine into old wine skins. Think of wine skins, it's literally like they would like cow stomachs, things like they would use all kinds of crazy stuff. Skins, these terrible objects and they would put this wine into it the gas would expand if it was not a new wine skin it would burst and the wine would be ruined the skin would be ruined so what they had to do was if they were making new wine it always 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 required a new skin so something that could handle the pressure of the expansion of the fermentation when they were making wine so he says this a patch is insufficient why because something completely new is required. Christianity patches do not work, but thankfully to Jesus, we do not need them because we are made completely new. Now I want us to flip over to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Real quick, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'll turn over if you won't. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For what? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Here's the truth of the gospel. You are a new creature. Why? Good patches don't work because what's the mess behind the patch is the issue, not the patch. So what we must do, we must make something completely, completely new. And thankfully when we are saved, when we've experienced the gospel, the Bible says, we just read that we are made a completely new creature. All things are passed away. All things are become new. Why? Because if we're an unrighteous person, righteousness on top of sin is still sin with righteousness. We must be something completely different. Our sin must be done. We must be reborn. And that way we can have Jesus' righteousness. That is what the gospel does. The gospel makes us completely new creature. So we're new creatures. We are something different. He did not come to patch, but bring something completely new. That is the good news of the gospel. For the saved, listen, 
it is not your religious activities that give you salvation. If you're here today and you are unsure of your salvation, going to church will not do it. It is not anything that you can do. Fasting will not do it. It is all of your personal relationship with the Savior. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have new life. But listen, do not be scared of religion. Religion is a good thing as long as it is preceded by relationship. I feel like this, what's happened in Christianity, the 70s, 80s, and 90s bred this religion that was all about doing Christian things rather than knowing the Christian God. Rather than knowing Jesus, it was more about showing up to church, wearing this, doing this, checking this box. And we come from these worlds of religion, religion, religion without relationship. So what have we done? Like in history, we pendulum swing. And now the early 2000s, 2010s, now the 2020s, we've abandoned religion. Now we're all about relationship. And relationship is a good thing, right? I want relationship with Jesus. Relationship is how we get salvation. Relationship is the goal. However, relationship is preceded by religion. Relationship always comes before religion, but religion comes after. Here's what happens. If you go on Instagram, if you listen to these Christian influencers, these celebrities, everyone is talking about, well, I have relationship with God. If you have relationship with God, then you have relationship with the Word of God. That's just the truth. Now, I'll say this. You do not need to go to church to be saved. But listen, saved people go to church. You do not need to give financially of yourself service to be saved. Thank God. We don't have to pay for stuff. We're not paying and don't thank God. We don't have to do that. However, Save people, give of themselves. That's what, it, that's what happens. Why? Because relationship leads to religion. Religion is not a bad thing. Let me say it like this. If me and Sammy, we have a relationship, we're married. If she got a letter in the mail tomorrow and said, I haven't paid the mortgage in three or four months, she comes to me and she's like, hey, what's the deal? You're not holding up your end of the bargain. You're, this is your responsibility. And I'll say, babe, but we're in love. We have relationship. Isn't that enough for you? Hopefully that's not enough for her. Why? Because our relationship has bred responsibilities. And now, because of my relationship, I have responsibilities. If your relationship with God is between you and him only, and it includes no following of the Bible, that's not a relationship with God. That's not Jesus. Why? Because Jesus breeds religion. Where do we get Christianity? From Jesus. From the teachings of God's word. If all you are, all your God is, is a mystic who you have this personal relationship with, and it has nothing to do with the word of God, that is not Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has found the Word. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God is Jesus. So you cannot have a relationship with Jesus if you don't have a relationship with the Word of God and the teachings of the Word of God. Thankfully, we've been made something completely new that we can experience that. We can know that. For the lost, ask yourself, why do you think you are going to heaven? Jesus tells them this. These are good men. I think these are men who followed Jesus. And he says this. Stop trying to patch your eternity with good Christian things when I am all you need. You're all, I am right here. Stop trying to fast your way to heaven. Stop trying to church attend your way to heaven. Stop trying to be a good person your way to heaven because none of it works. The only thing that works is the gospel of Jesus. That's the only thing. So come today and experience the gospel of Jesus. Stop coming to church lost when you can come and know Jesus. I feel like me and Coleman have been talking these past few weeks. We just feel in our hearts and our soul that there are people who just need to be saved. People who are so close to taking a step of salvation, placing their faith and their trust in Jesus. Let today be the day. Maybe, maybe you, you, you've got a hole in your heart and you're just trying to patch it. 
move on and let Jesus do it for you. He loved you so much that he made a way that is easier and better than you could ever imagine or earn. If you could earn it, it would not be worth it. If you could earn it, we would all earn it and we would all lose it. But thankfully, it's something completely different. Conclusion is this. The disciples of John asked Jesus, why aren't they hungry? Why aren't they hungry enough for the Lord to fast for the Lord? Why aren't they hungry enough for the Lord to participate in this religion? He says this, their religion will come, but it starts with relationship. Their relationship will lead to religion. He says this, a time will come where they will fast. They aren't hungry for what you're hungry for because they have it right here, but there will be a day when they will not have it. Then they will be hungry. Well, this is the message. Last time I checked, none of you are walking through the desert with Jesus. He has ascended into heaven. So the, the, the sermon is this, the time has come for hunger. The time has come to hunger for the Lord. He's gone. He's in heaven. He's given us his word. Now is the time to fast. Now is the time to want. Now is the time to desire. Are we hungry enough to show God that we desperately need him more than anything else? That's what fasting is. It's putting a way to express to God that you need him. Well, he's not here. The time has come. Are you hungry for the things of God? Are you hungry for the will of God in your life? Are you hungry for his input? Are you hungry for his hand on your life? Are we hungry for something for God that we could never do for ourselves? He has made us a new creature. He's given us salvation. He's given us the Holy Spirit, but he's not done. He has more in mind, and it may take you being hungry for it to see it. Matt, you can come play. I'm, I'm telling you, we're wrapped up. Matthew 9, 22. It's interesting how the story goes. These disciples come to Jesus, and they ask him, why aren't they fasting? He says, look, there's going to come a time to fast. Now is not the time, but there will be a time. And then he says, Stop trying to patch up your religion with me, but experience something completely new. Then the conversation ends. It kind of ends abruptly. We realize later on that John's disciples, they, that, that was not a sufficient answer because two chapters later, they come to him and say, are you even Christ? Are you actually the Messiah? They're getting to the heart issue eventually, but they're interrupted. Why they're interrupted is kind of interesting. We talked about this on Wednesday night. It says, verse number 18 says, while he spake these things unto him, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshiped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. So while he's teaching them that he that there must be, be, be a new creature, there must be something completely new, he's interrupted by a ruler who comes and says, Come heal my daughter. She's about to die. She may be dead now. So what does Jesus do? Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, on their way, a woman interrupts them. This is a woman with the issue of blood. It says, it says, which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For he, she said within herself, if I may touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from the hour. Pause. He's interrupted by this woman of blood. He heals her. And then what? He goes back to the, to the girl who was dead. Verse number 23. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, that, these are mourners. These are funeral directors. These people orchestrating a funeral. Why? Because the girl has died. The girl is dead. So they're in their mourning. And what does Jesus say? He said to them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. 
He says, guys, just give some space. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And what did they do? They laughed him to scorn. So what did he do? Verse number 25, it says, but when the people were put forth, put forth means kicked out. People were kicked out. He went in and took her by the hand and the maid arose. This is what I want to, this, this is what I, this, this is the message. All of that is information, application. This is the message. Jesus was going to raise that little girl from the dead. Before the, before the time, foundation of the earth, that little girl was going to be risen from the dead by Jesus. Here's the thing. The work of God will be done. People will come to Christ. People will be baptized. Marriages will be restored. People will recover from addictions. Good things will happen. God will hands will move. God is an active God. God is too good of a God to be done. God's work is still very, 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 very far from over. But listen, those mourners could have witnessed the resurrection of a little girl. They walked in and they were in the room and Jesus was in there with them. He said, let's give some space. She's not dead, she's sleeping. And what they do? They mocked, had no faith. And Jesus said, get out, I've got to do something. And because they were not, listen, because they were not, listen, because they were not hungry for what God could do, they didn't get to see it. And they got kicked out. They had to go to the other room and Jesus got to raise the little girl from the dead. And one of the greatest miracles ever taking place got to take place. And they were in the other room laughing. Why? Because they were not hungry to see what God could do. I know God's going to do something, but I don't want to not be there when he does. I want to be a part. I want to be a witness. Because God's not done in Statesville, North Carolina, you full of better church. Tonight, today's not my candidacy. If you're a guest with us, this may not mean anything to you. If you want me to be your pastor, I need you to be hungry. If you're not hungry for what God's going to do, don't vote for me next week. If you're not hungry wanting to see God do something big at Eufola Baptist Church, in this room, with these people, I'm not your guy. Because I'm not, I refuse to have so little faith and be so full in what God's already done that I'm not hungry to see more. Because the time has come to be hungry. The time, Jesus is gone, he's given us a job and I'm hungry to see it done and I need you to be as well. That's the message. They said, why aren't they hungry? She said, there will be a time, the time is now to be hungry for what the Lord can do. Hungry for your marriage to be right. Hungry for your family to be right. Hungry for your kids to be saved. Hungry for your coworkers to know Jesus. Hungry for someone else to experience the peace that you've experienced. And we, sometimes it's time to show God, express with our bodies that we're serious about wanting something better. He's given us a lot of good. He's poured out blessings on us, but he's got something even better. Are you hungry for it? Y'all stand, bow your head, close your eyes. Matt's gonna sing. Here's the invitation. If you're not saved, let today be the day of salvation. Accept Jesus today. Repent and believe the gospel today. If you are saved, are you hungry? Are you hungry for more? Are you hungry for what God can do through you and with you? Sometimes it takes coming to an altar, humbling yourself and asking God, telling God, I want more. I want more. That's the invitation. Matt's going to sing. You pray.